Good evening. This is Trina, and I am going to continue my reading of The Secrets of the Vine. Chapter 7. More of God, more with God. I was driving to work one bright Georgia morning when a black Corvette pulled alongside me. Top down, paint gleaming. The driver looked cool and confident in his designer sunglasses. Seconds later, the sports car roared past and disappeared over a rise. That's when I noticed it. Something was missing. Sure, I still had my wallet and the clothes on my back. I still had my job, complete with a long to-do list. I still had a wife and kids at home. But my heart was gone. It had been stolen and was now speeding away with that Corvette. By the time I walked into my office, I was full in a full-blown crisis, already contemplating resigning, maybe taking a job at a parking lot. The ministry that just yesterday had seemed so important, today tasted like sawdust. I went home that night and talked things through with Darlene. We decided that the problem might be burnout. For months, I had been working harder and longer but I seemed to have less to show for it. By bedtime, we had come to the disturbing conclusion that the passion I used to feel about serving God had been in decline for some time. The black Corvette actually had little to do with my dilemma. All it had done was steal the illusion that everything was fine. Instead of resigning, I started to pray. For days, I pleaded with God to show me what to do. He seemed to nudge me toward calling a man I'd met more than 10 years earlier. George is a respected leadership mentor and scholar on the West Coast. When I got on the phone, I struggled to put my problem into words. Bruce, are you having money troubles? George asked. I said, no. Something to do with sex? No, nothing like that. By the time I hung up, he had invited me to fly out to California to see him. I know why you're here. A few days later, George and I were settling into two big red leather chairs. Outside the window, eucalyptus trees swayed in the breeze. Tell me your whole life story, he said, and don't hurry. I talked for at least an hour. When my account came to two years before the present, George stopped me. Let me finish your life story, he said. But how can you? I asked. You don't even know what has happened. But I know why you're here, he said. He got up to pour me a fresh cup of coffee, then continued. I've studied over 500 Christian leaders' lives, biblical examples, historical figures, and contemporary people, some of whom you know. And Bruce, you're right on schedule. On schedule for what? I asked. George definitely had attracted my attention. Standing in front of me, he held up his hands, palms facing me. These are your two sources of fulfillment. My right hand stands for your relationship with God. 
and my left for your competence in ministry, he said. When you first began to serve the Lord, your relationship was young and vibrant. It had to be because your competence was weak. He moved his right hand up so that it was higher than his left. He continued, but over time, your competence increased. He moved both his hands to a side-by-side -side position. At this stage, the fulfillment you experienced from your competence approximately equaled the fulfillment you experienced from your relationship with the Lord. George's left hand drifted upward above his right hand. Pretty soon, your competence became apparent to all. You had never been more productive for God, but your walk with him began to suffer. Your satisfaction dropped. He paused. Bruce, this is where you are now. I was in the stage, he said, when most throw even more energy into their work, hoping to recapture their former fulfillment. But it doesn't work for long. Some drift into affairs, leave the ministry, retreat from their lifelong commitments. Bruce, he said, the Lord is saying, put relationship with me first, that it's time to switch hands again. If you do, you'll find the joy that you're missing now and so much more. In less than two hours, George had cut to the core of my distress, my relationship with God. It was an eye-opening yet difficult moment for me. Does any of my story ring true for you? Looking back now, I can put what George was telling me into vineyard terms. You have a good amount of fruit. You are not being lifted up in discipline. And you are not being pruned. Yet you feel caught between two opposing tensions. An increasing desire to produce an even better yield and decreased, decreasing fulfillment in the fruit you are already producing. You are ready for that fourth basket, the one so full of luscious grapes that it is overflowing. Yet you feel frustrated, defeated, and in danger of losing the harvest of a lifetime. And you have no idea what to do. By the time I got up from George's leather chair, a simple but intimidating truth had dawned on me. God didn't want me to do more for him. He wanted me to be more with him. I was ready for the final secret of the vineyard. Your place to remain. After seeing God act in your life through chastening and pruning, you might think that you are now a candidate for the perfect program perhaps a sophisticated New Testament strategy for multiplying growth in yourself and others. After all, if fruit equals good works, then surely much fruit must equal many more works. But in Jesus' final remarks in the vineyard, he turned to the, turn the disciples' attention away from activity altogether. I imagine Jesus leaning forward in the circle of light that spring evening. 
I see him tracing gnarled, tracing the gnarled curve of an ancient vine, his fingertips pausing where the massive trunk divides into a branch. Abide in me, and I in you, he says. Then he directs the disciples' attention down the branch. Trimmed and tied along the trellis, and already swelling with the promise of the harvest to come. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Do his friends understand what he's saying? Are they even paying attention? His eyes sweep the circle. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. At this critical moment, Jesus tells what should happen next. After discipline to remove sin, after pruning to change priorities, abide in me. Picture the place where the ancient trunk meets vigorous branch. Here is the touch point, the place where abiding happens. Here is the connection where life-giving nutrients in the sap flow through to the developing fruit. The only limitation on the amount of sap that goes into the fruit is the circumference of the branch where it meets the vine. That means that the branch with the largest, least obstructed connection with the vine is abiding the most and will have the greatest potential for a huge crop. This picture brings us to the final and most abundant category of fruitfulness. The third secret of the vine. The third secret of the vine. If your life bears a lot of fruit, God will invite you to abide more deeply with him. His purpose is not that you will do more for him, but that you will choose to be more with him. Only by abiding can you enjoy the most rewarding friendship with God and experience the greatest abundance for his glory. To abide means to remain, to stay closely connected, to settle in for the long term. With this picture, Jesus is showing the disciples how an ongoing, vital connection with him will directly determine the amount of his supernatural power at work in their lives. Within six verses in John 15, Jesus says abide ten times. You can sense the passion of his plea. Jesus knows that he is about to leave his friends, yet he is saying, we must be together. He knows that in the coming years, these downcast, frightened men, now standing with him in the vineyard, will be called to produce an unheard of, miraculous amount of fruit. Enough fruit to turn the whole world upside down. And Jesus knows they can't begin to achieve that kind of a t- 
eternal impact without the one thing they're most likely to forget. More of him. Mysteries of abiding. Abide, Jesus says. Don't miss the command. Abide is an imperative, not a suggestion or a request. You don't have to command a child to eat dessert. You command someone to do something because it's not going to come naturally. In the seasons of chastening and pruning, the vine dresser is proactive. He pursues. He initiates. Our role is to respond. But with abiding, we see a 180-degree shift in who initiates the movement toward fruitfulness at the highest level. To abide, we must act. So even though abiding is not about doing more, if we want to experience it, we must do something. And the effort won't come easily. In abiding, it's always our move. Notice, however, that we are helpless to bear much fruit alone. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself, for without me you can do nothing. Verses 4 and 5. Imagine a grape branch severed from the trunk and lying in the dust. For that severed branch to produce one new leaf, flower, or grape would be impossible. Jesus goes on to say, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. That's verse 6. These words sound catastrophic. But Jesus isn't threatening a barren branch with hell. Unlike the olive tree, whose wood has found many uses since ancient times. The grape produces wood that is brittle and small. Ezekiel wrote, Is wood taken from the grapevine to make an object? Instead, it is thrown into the fire for fuel. Ezekiel 15, 3 and 4. Jesus is making a dramatic point. If we are not abiding, we wither and die and become of no spiritual use. Finally, notice the implied promise for the branch that does abide. If you stay connected to him, if you draw spiritual nourishment from him, if you allow the power that flows through him to flow through you, nothing will hold you back from reaching the most abundant life possible. The urgency of now. The next move is up to you. George told me that day as I prepared to leave for home. But he gave me a warning. Unless my friendship with God became my first priority, George predicted that I would never fulfill my true destiny as a Christian leader. You'll feel God tugging on you only for so long, he said. Your crisis of unhappiness is very important. If you don't break through now, you might never do so. The news was sobering. Here I was, feeling that my life's work no longer brought me fulfillment. But I was not supposed to work directly on the problem. Rather, I needed to put all that aside and focus on something else.
something that came much harder for me, something that seemed infinitely more elusive. You might be wondering why a Bible teacher and leader of a large Christian organization would have let his relationship with Christ slip into second place. To be honest, I wondered the same thing. Make intimacy with God my first priority? I already prayed and read my Bible regularly. So what what had gone wrong? By the time I got back home from my visit with George, I was determined to find the answer. This ends Chapter 7 of The Secrets of the Vine. More with God, more, more of God, more with God. <laughs>